turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Oh, yes, it is. And a good morning to you. Thank you so very much for joining me, fellow patriots. At 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this Monday, the 19th morning of the 6th month in the year of our Lord, 2023, Groom 19th, as it were. And uh, we've got a very, very good show for you today. It's loaded up. Coming up in a half an hour, we're going to talk to Jim Jordan. Uh, Congressman and, of course, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, he has a full plate this week. John Durham, uh, who, of course, filed the report that highlighted, very similar, by the way, to what James Comey did seven years ago with Hillary Clinton, highlighted all kinds of crimes that took place in the witch hunt collusion investigation uh, that was set out uh, against Donald Trump back in 2015. The entire crossfire hurricane thing was an absolute public national embarrassment to target a candidate and then a president with lies from the opposition. John Durham's report, of course, came like three years too late, but it came, and uh, it identified all of those crimes and then said, by the way, nobody should be punished. <laughs> 
Same thing that happened with Hillary and her uh, email server, or her uh, her server and all of her emails. Uh, yeah, here are, here are all the crimes she committed. And by the way, nobody should punish her. Uh, John Durham is going to be testifying, and I'm sure Jim Jordan and other members of that committee today, or this week rather, are going to have uh, a lot to say about that. So we're going to talk to him about John Durham. We're going to talk to him about the IRS using fake names and false pretenses to harass residents and taxpayers, including Ohioans. One of them declaring that the IRS has the right, or the uh, FBI has the right to come into your home uh, anytime they wish, that the IRS has the right to do this as well. So we're going to talk about that, the FBI stonewalling, the Biden bribery audio tape story. We're going to get into that with Jim Jordan a little bit. The special counsel that brought charges against Donald Trump, Jack Smith. Turns out he's been going after conservatives for a long time without any interest whatsoever in the law. He goes back to his support of the lowest learner IRS scandal. I mean, this is crazy how deep this runs. Meanwhile, we've got competing narratives on the Trump charges. Bill Barr, the former attorney general, for for whom I used to have an enormous amount of respect. He was a champion for President Trump when he was his attorney general, uh, especially when he came in to rescue the, uh, the bad decision that was Jeff Sessions. Uh, at that spot, but uh, he was a tremendous supporter and defender of Donald Trump and the rule of law during the presidency. In the aftermath, not so much, but Bill Barr's got an op-ed out and uh, basically says uh, Donald Trump is not being witch-hunted this time. There are some severe mistakes that he made, and we're going to talk about what those mistakes might be and whether or not they justify the double standard in terms of prosecution for Trump, but not for others. And so we're going to talk about that with Jim Jordan as well. So Bill Barr, uh, really, really a lot to say there that we have a lot to analyze. So we'll do that with Jim Jordan. So also, on the same vein, we're in the same vein and on the same track, we're going to talk with Will Scharf coming up at 1010 this morning. Now, Will Scharf, I said I had dueling narratives, if you will. Um, the Will Scharf narrative is a very interesting one. Will... Uh, is a reporter, or excuse me, not a reporter, beg your pardon, but he's acting as a reporter. He's a candidate for attorney general in the state of Missouri. But he wrote a tremendous detailed, I mean, it's better than any reporting I've seen in any of the major newspapers or even the, the news uh, websites. Um, he did a tremendous breakdown of the charges against Trump and how and where they fall flat. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. He's a candidate for Missouri Attorney General. He is also um, uh, a former assistant U.S. attorney. He worked on two Supreme Court confirmations. He clerked for two federal appellate judges. He's got the creds. He's got credibility. And he's got a very, very long, detailed thread on Twitter in which he basically takes apart in six steps, six key points, uh, uh, about the uh, case against President Trump being both, quote, outrageous and shocking, end quote. So dueling narratives there. Bill Barr saying Trump brought, brought this one on himself. Will Scharf saying, no, not true. This is, uh, you know, it's, if you break it down by the law, uh, it's, uh, it's very clearly more of the same. In, in the witch hunt against President Trump. So that's at 10.10. Pastor Chris Long will be with me at 10.35. There's a huge and important event coming up with the Ohio Christian Alliance that will be used to support uh, Issue 1 on the August 8th special election ballot. Very, very important, of course, that we pass that. Vote yes on one. You probably have seen a lot of ads. You probably have seen a lot of stuff online about the uh, no on one side, the baby killers, and I'm sorry, just going to call it what it is, the uh, pro-abortionists who want to make sure that the 
November ballot initiative is ushered through unscathed. Uh, they do not want this 60%, this increased threshold to 60% to amend the Ohio Constitution. Uh, it's largely about that one issue for them. It is about many, many more issues for us. And we're going to talk to Pastor Long about that. That will be coming up at uh, 1035. And then my friend Charlie Kalani, uh, the politically incorrect mechanic, is facing down and sh- uh, he has a face-off, I guess is a better way to say that, with uh, the city of Lakewood uh, that is trying to crush businesses, in particular his. Uh, and we're going to talk to him at 1110 this morning. So we're jammed. Jim Jordan, Will Scharf, um, uh, who was the third one I just said, for crying out loud. Chris Long and uh, Charlie Kalani are all going to be with us this morning. You can be with us, too, in between those interviews at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. What do you say we get our day started with our Pledge of Allegiance, Patriots? Stand and face your flag. Put your hand on your heart. If you're driving, just do the heart uh, hand on your heart part. And if you've got a flag in your car because of this show, uh, and uh, that's what you look at when we do the pledge every day, when you happen to be in your vehicle, God bless you. Love you very much. Uh, thank you for doing that. Join us. If you are... A believer in the two-tiered system of justice being advanced by the radical American left and by the Biden administration, the Biden Department of Justice, the Chris Ray-led FBI, well, then this flag means nothing to you anyway. You should probably salute the uh, pride flag that's over there instead. That one means more to you. Either that or just go take a knee next to that unemployed quarterback over there. For all the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands one nation under god indivisible with liberty and justice for all a former president of the united states wants to take your fingerprints and use them to target you your digital fingerprints, that is. I'm going to tell you all about that right after this. Thanks for being with us. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. That is going to be our top story on AM 1420, The Answer. Yeah, my uh, regrets, of course, to Pastor Chris Long. I was asked to MC the event, uh, the Freedom Banquet, on Thursday, but I had a previous speaking engagement. I'll be with the Eastside GOP, Lucy Stickens' uh, great organization in Highland Heights there on uh, Thursday night, having a having a nice chat with the folks there. So uh, we're going to talk to Chris Long about that Freedom Banquet that I won't be at, uh, but I want you to be at if you can be, uh, coming up here a little bit later on in the program. So a former president wants to use your digital fingerprints to target you because of your horrific penchant for spreading what he believes to be misinformation. Former President Barack Obama wants the government to be able to track you and hunt you down by your fingerprints if you dare spread misinformation. During an interview with podcast host David Axelrod, one of his former lackeys, Obama called for implementing digital fingerprints as a mandatory online requirement in an effort to combat misinformation. I, I always have to, whenever I do stories about misinformation, we have to, of course, stop and point out the obvious. Who decides what misinformation is? If the left gets to decide what misinformation is, then all of us lose our rights to speak. If we say that the jabs are dangerous and people are having blood clots because of them and having heart problems because of them, 
and having strokes because of them. It's true, it's real, but they say, no, it isn't. That's misinformation. You're in trouble. We're going to censor and and stop and close your accounts. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about. That's what makes this entire attack on free speech by way of condemning misinformation or disinformation. Remember when these idiots hired that other idiot, uh, Nina Jankowitz, to be the the chair of this uh, disinformation governance board? Remember that nonsense? Lasted all of about five seconds. As soon as people heard this nut singing some sort of a goofy... uh, 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 song, uh, you know, in 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 uh, honor of uh, of her her role as a disinformation czar, if you will. Remember this? The, the, what made it so? Even the left went a little bit nutty on this. Even the left kind of said, "Yeah, we can't do that." That's how radical it is. But obviously, the far left runs the show when it comes to the Biden administration, when it comes to the current uh, uh, modern American Democrat Party. And so they're trying to push back against what they call disinformation. So if you disagree with jab, uh, the jab narrative that the government has put forth that has cost Lord only knows how many people their health and other people their lives, sudden deaths and beyond. If you disagree that uh, we should we should stop fossil fuels, stop drilling, stop fracking, stop speculating, stop uh, doing any of the uh, uh, anything that would lead to more natural gas, coal or oil production and embrace digi- or embrace uh, electric batteries, embrace EVs, electric vehicles and the mining that goes into building those, the mining for lithium and cobalt and manganese and nickel and graphite and all those other things, if you fight back against that in the name of climate change, if you say that, first of all, that's worse for the planet than the mining for coal is and the, and the fossil fuels, that's misinformation. You're going to get shut down. Secondly, if you say, you know, electric vehicles um, are not going to be the answer if you cannot provide a strong enough electric grid to power all of these vehicles, well, you're gonna, that's misinformation. You're going to get canceled. I mean, it doesn't really matter if you say that there are only two genders, if you say that there are only men and women, and that's it, men and women, boys and girls, and they cannot be changed from one to the other, um, that's misinformation. You're, you're just hateful and you're anti-LGBT, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's misinformation. So they get to decide what mis- or disinformation is, and then they want to shut you down as a result of it. Friends, I'm starting with this story today because it's literally paramount. The First Amendment is first for a reason. Your ability to challenge these things, my ability to challenge challenge these things on air and online um, it, it, like I said, they're paramount to to continuing the American uh, experiment of this republic. Town Hall writes, the Democrat, meaning Barack, meaning Barack Obama, suggested the government needs a way to track and identify people who spread so-called misinformation online. Axelrod, who now works for CNN, claims he has seen misinformation, disinformation, and deep fakes targeting the former president, Barack Obama which Obama agreed with, of course, adding he was the most recorded, filmed, photographed human in history. I think that's a load of crap. I think the, the, uh, the past president, the one who succeeded him, is probably far more in that regard, but we should also add in persecuted. Recorded, filmed, and photographed, and persecuted person in history is going to clearly be Donald Trump, but Obama has uh, his own narcissistic tendencies. 
Anyway, Obama said, most immediately we are going to have all the problems we had with misinformation before, but this next election cycle will be worse. End quote. That's why he's calling for the quote-unquote digital fingerprints. He referenced the COVID-19 vaccine, as I did, igniting the need to combat so-called misinformation online, and I quote, Obviously, we saw that during the vaccination stuff. I'm concerned about it, and I think the best we're going to be able to do is constantly remind people that this misinformation is out there. As the end quote, as the 2024 election creeps up, the former president warned listeners that misinformation can be weaponized to discourage voter participation by portraying the election system as rigged and corrupt. That is also a matter of interpretation. What is the definition of rigged? What is the definition of corrupt? Because it is in the eye of the beholder or maybe in the mind of of the person uh, making that definition. What are we talking about here? They're calling it misinformation if we point out that, you know, thousands of votes, thousands upon thousands of votes were stuffed on video camera into polling locations, at uh, not polling locations, beg your pardon, drop boxes at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning, all by the same individuals. Talking about 2,000 mules. It's all. So if we point out that that existed... Is that portraying misinformation? Because you're, are we trying to disenfranchise voters because we are saying that the system is rigged and that it's corrupted? Do we lose our rights to speak and be heard because we point those things out? Obama went on. The need for us, for the general public, I think to be more discriminating consumers of news and information, the need for us to, over time, develop technologies to create watermarks or digital fingerprints so we know what is true and what is not true, end quote. And, of course, we're talking about a guy, Barack Obama, who has spent an awful lot of his own time spreading misinformation. I mean, we do recall things like, uh, if you want, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor, right? I mean, we, if I, if I wanted to and I don't, I, because I've got my fill of them from the current president, Joe Biden, form, Obama's former two, you know, number two, uh, I, 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 I could go back and just read the litany of Obama lies and misinformation from his eight years in office. I don't want to relitigate all of that. It's all available for public consumption, but the fact that this guy is going to tell us misinformation is endangering the republic because of people like you and me, and they want digital fingerprints to track you so they can close down your ability to communicate, to take away your First Amendment rights to speak and to be heard, or to, uh, to speak online and to be heard. It's dystopian stuff. It's dystopian. It has not been lost upon us already that the Democrats aren't very fond of most of the Bill of Rights. They certainly don't like the Fourth Amendment. We know they hate the Second Amendment. And, yeah, they are just now on, you know, just about the same par with the First Amendment. They don't want you speaking without being told you can speak. And then they want to clear what you say before it is allowed to reach the ears of the rest or the eyes of the rest of America. That's where we are. Dystopian stuff, my friends. And if that's not a good place to start, I don't know what is. It's 929. We're going to take our time out here for the bottom of the hour news break. We're going to come back. And Congressman Jim Jordan is busy 
We've got a lot of questions for him. We'll get some great answers, hopefully. Stay here on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob Fratz on The Answer. Okay, 936. Good Monday morning to you. Thanks for being with us on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Let's welcome Congressman Jim Jordan, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, back to our program. Congressman, good morning, sir. Good morning, Bob. How are you? Doing well, thank you. I appreciate you making the time today. You have got a lot on your plate this week. Um, I've got a lot of questions for you about some of those things. I'm going to dive right in. First, sure. uh, first one is uh, John Durham's going to testify this week. Yeah. Um, it, it's amazing. You know, a few weeks ago, this would have been the very top story, but because of so many other things going yeah. on that that are just impossible for us to comprehend, uh, and what is being done by the uh, FBI, the Department of Justice, and more, mm-hmm. suddenly this is a backburner item. But I'm going to start there. What do you expect to learn from John Durham this week? Well, he gave us a bunch of detail to what we already knew, that, that they uh, they put this fake Russian narrative together, the Clinton campaign did, and the FBI ran with it because they were so out to get the president. Um, and then, of course, eight days ago, or I guess eight days, what, a week ago, six days ago, they um, that they, they indict the, you know, the arraignment and they indict President Trump. And in between that, we had uh, the Mueller investigation, the impeachment, the 51 former intel officials, and the raid on the president's home. So it's like it's literally been a pattern for um, – for what now, seven seven years. So I think you'll see Mr. Durham just give more detail, more examples of how egregious, how wrong um, the whole Crossfire Hurricane investigation and the Mueller investigation. There's one example in there where they got intelligence, Bob, in the summer of 2016, credible intelligence, that said the whole Trump-Russia narrative was, was something made up by the Clinton campaign to take heat off her email scandal. And it was it was so credible that Brennan briefed Obama, Biden, Lynch, and Comey. So he briefed them all. Then they put together a memorandum. The memorandum is then sent to Jim Comey. And guess what? Comey doesn't share it with the agent. And when John Durham is doing his investigation, the agents on the case, the Crossfire Hurricane agents, the analysts on the case, when Durham does his investigation, is interviewing one of those agents, he presents them with the with the memorandum gives the individual time to read the memorandum. The individual, he describes this in his report. The individual gets done, gets up, becomes upset, walks out, talks to his lawyer, comes back in and says, I should have had that information. That could have changed everything. The fact that Comey kept that from the team shows you the bias that was there from the get-go with these guys, and it continues to this day. Uh, that's a great point, and I, I was. This is a little out of order, but since we're there, um, I'm going to ask you about more about Hillary Clinton and about the you know the double standard of justice here. Because uh, Bill Barr, former Attorney General Barr, wrote an op-ed that I read this morning, and uh, so I'm still kind of processing all of it. It's quite lengthy, uh, but when it comes to the double standard argument, he admits, and I'm going to quote him here: "The double standard is real. The question is." Should Trump have been given a pass by the DOJ just because Hillary may have been? It's not clear to me that giving Trump a pass would be the best way of restoring the rule of law and putting the double standard behind us. If Trump engaged in the kind of brazen criminal conduct alleged, then applying the law in this case is not unfair to him. The injustice lies in not having applied it seven years ago to Hillary. You don't rectify that omission by giving future violators a free pass. Ensuring the same standard is applied in the pending investigations of Hunter Biden and President Biden's handling of classified documents is the best way to achieve true justice here. How do you respond to that? Well, it's just not accurate because uh, I think maybe I shared this last week, but 
three weeks ago, we, we interviewed uh, Stephen D'Antuano, who was the, the former head of the Washington field office. He was running the Washington field office of the FBI when they raided President Trump's home. And during his deposition, he told us, he said, look, I, I said to the, to the folks at, at, at Maine Justice, I said, where's the U.S. attorney? We're not supposed to be running this stuff out of headquarters. Didn't we learn that from crossfire hurricane? And they said, well, we're going to run it out of headquarters. He said, why are we going to do a raid on the president's home? Why don't we just keep working with his lawyer? Why don't we just stick with the accommodation process? His lawyer is talking to us. They're talking with us. Why don't we do it that way? No, we're going to go search his home. So it wasn't done the same way. It was definitely done different with President Trump. And the guy, the, the, the top agent at the Washington field office said, let's, let's continue to do the accommodation process, which is certainly what happened with Clinton. After all, her lawyers got to look at all the emails, decide what emails the government got, got to see with President Trump. They go down and raid his home. And, and the, the top agent was saying, let's, let's do the same process with President Trump, but they wouldn't do it that way. Yeah, and, and, and which is bizarre uh, that they wouldn't, you know, uh, let the Miami field yeah. office handle this and do it in, in, in the same appropriate way. But, but again, let me just read the, the, the last part of Barr that I want to hear right now is, um, regarding the raid of Mar-a-Lago, the roars of Trump supporters redefining, why didn't the government simply ask for the documents back? Barr says, well, it, as it turns out, they did, politely, for about a year, and they were jerked around. Trump's, direct quotes, Trump's supporters then shifted back, well, why didn't they just use a subpoena first before conducting a search? And Barr says, well, as it turns out, they did issue a subpoena, quietly and discreetly, three months before the search. And the search was done only after the government got surveillance video suggesting that, in responding to the subpoena, documents had been illegally withheld, and so on and so on and so on. So, again, this is what Barr wrote. How do you respond to him? Well, I'm going on what Stephen Bentuano said. He said, well, let's continue the process. Let's keep working. We don't have to go right to uh, a raid on the home, a search on the home. In fact, he even testified... He said, you know, I also said, look, let's do it this way. If you're not going to let us uh, talk to his lawyer and keep working that way, how about when we get on the ground, when we get to Mar-a-Lago, how about then we call up his lawyer, the lawyer comes over, and we conduct the search together. And again, headquarters said, no. You get there, you show the subpoena, and you go, you do the search. So there was, there should have been some kind of accommodation all the way through. This, this is how it always works. But with Trump, with President Trump, it was different because, again, They've been out to get him since clear back in 2016, and we know that from the Durham report. 2015, if we're being honest, because that's when Crossfire Hurricane started. Uh, There's one thing that Barr wrote that I agree with fully, and that is the the part that I read to you a second ago. Uh, The way forward is ensuring the same standard is applied in pending investigations of Hunter Biden and President Biden's handling of classified documents. But, Congressman, that ship has sailed, and that's because they didn't raid (laughs) Biden's residences in all these locations. And any investigation going forward is going to be with Biden's uh, AG and Biden's DOJ, which, as we know, cannot be trusted to, you know, apply the same standards they're trying to apply to Trump to Joe Biden. Well, yeah, yeah, and actually what I just described that the, the, the head of the Washington field office told us about in his deposition mm-hmm. is exactly how they, they handled it for Joe Biden. They waited for his lawyer, him, the lawyer and the FBI did it together. They coordinated, they worked on it together, and they went and searched. I forget which of the four places they searched with that. But they followed that process that, right. that the head of the Washington field office told us they should have followed with Trump. So you're right. They've already broke the standard. It's one set of rules again. If you're a Democrat and you're connected, you're Biden, you're Clinton, whatever – 
And it's a different set if you're a Republican, you're conservative, or maybe more importantly, if you're President Trump. And, and just to finish that off, too, and, and I apologize for the redundancy if we already hit this part again, but I'm still concerned about the chain of custody of everything that they got from, from Mar-a-Lago because contrary to having the FBI and Biden's lawyers doing it together, they made sure that every Trump uh, a staffer yeah. that was involved yeah. and, and, and was there left before they did their search, right? Right, and we already so how do we know, know what they put into the boxes. Yeah, well, and we already know that back during cross for Hurricane, Kevin Kleinsmith lied, altered a document that was taken to the FISA court that helped him get the warrant to spy on President Trump's campaign. So we, we, we shouldn't, you know, we hope that didn't happen. I don't necessarily think it did happen, but you can't dismiss it because it's happened before with the FBI dealing with President Trump. Exactly. I mean, what? What are the? How are the American people supposed to have any faith in it when they literally took the phony information from the Hillary Clinton campaign to to get the FISA warrant? They used f- made yep. up evidence, faked evidence, made up crap from the rival campaign to open an investigation against him. If they are going to, if they're willing to make up evidence and fabricate things one time, how do we know what they fabricated and slipped into boxes uh, when there was no one watching because they had no, no one was allowed to be there while they conducted the search and took uh, took control of all of those documents? I mean, I I, I just feel it's like even though we have no it. way to prove yeah. it, we also have no way to prove that they didn't do it. And considering that they've lost the benefit of the doubt, by by making up information or making up uh, evidence the first time around, uh, it, it, how do we know it's not more of the same? So yeah, well, uh, and it's 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 frightening that we're even having this conversation in the United States of America to think that your government would try to frame the the the, the former president. I mean, again, we don't know that it's happened. I don't think that it's happened, but we do know it has happened before. Right. So that's what makes this question to raise this issue, and it's it to me that is just. Again, the fact that we even have well, it. Essentially, they framed theory. him when he was a candidate. Essentially, they framed yep. him while he was the president, because that crossfire hurricane, of course, continued into his presidency. So why should it be <laughs> so hard for us to think that they wouldn't frame a former president, especially when it's the uh, same guy in all three cases? So, okay, no, it's, it's scary stuff. Let's get to some other scary stuff uh, regarding our federal government and what we can trust and what we can't. The IRS using fake names and false pretenses to harass at least one Ohio yeah. resident about tax filings. I know you wrote a very important letter to the uh, 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 chief of staff or to the assistant to the chief of staff. Did, did did this agent actually tell the resident that we can come into your home whenever we or anybody's home whenever we feel yeah. like it? Yeah, and that was the, that was the big takeaway. I mean, this happened in our district, and, and our our, our uh, staff uh, found out about this. And God bless the local police officers who understood this. This was wrong. What was going on? But the thing, the biggest takeaway for me was the arrogance displayed by this bureaucrat. Just just basically saying, "You let me in. I'm from the IRS. I can do whatever I want. I can even give you an alias." He didn't even use his, his real name. So much so that this was so bad that local police officers said. Uh, when she called her lawyer, the lawyer said, hey, you tell the guy to get out of here. He's got to send you stuff. He can't do this. And then they, they end up contacting the police because they thought it was a scam. But it turns out it was a real IRS agent using a fake name, harassing this one of our constituents, one of our citizens here in Ohio. This is how out of control this whole this whole weaponization and these agencies being turned on the very people they are supposed to serve the taxpayers of our great country, and it happened right here in Marion, Ohio. It was recent, too, right? Just two months ago. Yeah, it sure was. It was. Sure was. Yeah. 
And, and, and according according to the story and what you wrote in the letter, that the agent actually said that he can go quote into anyone's house at any time. Now I don't know about you. I, I'm not a lawyer. You're closer to it than I am. But but I do know what the Fourth Amendment says. No, he cannot. Yeah. And no, they cannot. They yeah. cannot do uh, unreasonable searches <laughs> and seizures. I mean, there have there have yeah. to be warrants for things like that. And they're literally claiming it's, we can it's do reminds- whatever we want. Yeah, it, it sort of reminds you of the old joke when, when, when someone from the government shows up at your door and tells you they're from the government. Your first response is usually not, oh, joy, one of my public servants is here to help me today. It's like, what is this guy doing here? And then when they have the attitude this individual had, all kinds of red flags go up for the, the, uh, our constituent. And she did the right thing. She called her lawyer and she called the police. And the police felt like this guy. And here's the, here's the kicker. This guy, this, this guy then turns, goes to the inspector general at Treasury and says, I'm going to file a complaint against the local police for doing their job, for doing good work. Now, thank goodness it's, I think, worked out, and he realizes this is pretty stupid. But that was the arrogant attitude this bureaucrat had uh, in dealing with the people he's supposed to serve. We're talking to uh, Congressman Jim Jordan, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. By the way, that letter was to the uh, commissioner of the IRS. I was conflating yeah, it with your other letter to the chief of staff about social media censorship. I'll come back to that. Let's stay on the IRS for this one, and this ties back to the Trump story. Um, the special counsel, Jack Smith, that brought these charges against President Trump was also tied to the last IRS scandal, or at least the last huge one, the Lois Lerner scandal. You can't, you can't even yeah. make this stuff up. Tell us about that. You can't. Well, Jack Smith was running the, the public integrity section of the Justice Department, was dealing with, with folks in the, in, the, in the IRS, and was exploring ways to prosecute the very people who were targeted by Obama's IRS, targeted by Lois Lerner. He was exploring ways to to uh, indict those individuals, to go after those individuals, to prosecute those individuals for filing false claims. Maybe on their application to the IRS, they they got a, they did, forgot to cross a T or they missed something on a form. He was looking to har- further harass them. And remember the context. This was this was 12 years ago, 13 years ago. This was after the Citizens United decision. This was during Obamacare, mm-hmm. and they were looking for ways to go after the Tea Party movement in 2010, 2011, 2012. That's ex- and Jack Smith was knee deep, and, excuse me, neck deep into into all that. And we actually deposed him on I think May, late May of 2014. He was in a deposition with uh, with uh, our lawyers. I actually asked him some questions in that deposition as well. It was in, it was in for part of that. Um, so this is the guy that Merrick Garland selects to go after President Trump. And again, it it, it shouldn't surprise us. And, and understand this too: between that event ten years ago, twelve years ago, and what happened to our constituent in Marion, we also had. Four or five months back, we had the IRS, I guess three months ago, the IRS knock on Matt Taibbi's door while he's testifying. That's the nature of our government today, and it's, and it's, and it's pretty darn scary. It really is. And, Congressman Jordan, let's talk a little bit now about real corruption that, well, alleged real corruption that is going on in the current administration and whether or not the IRS, or excuse me, the FBI, different federal agency, is going to cooperate. Listen to this briefly. If he is not, is it true this informant who alleged that he personally took a bribe was an informant the FBI had relied upon previously in other investigations, yes or no? In each and every uh, investigation that we have, all the work that we do, I asked the you expectation yes or no is that every I logical asked, avenue, avenue investigation be pursued I asked you a yes or fullest. no question. Are you going to answer it? Yeah, I'm, I'm answering your question. Was the informant one you had relied on previously in other investigations, yes or no? Senator, 
We run down every piece of information. Every you're not lead, answering it then. You're refusing to answer. So you're refusing to answer the question. To the fullest extent possible. You're refusing to answer the question. That time is this is stonewalling. This is a literally yep. a master class of stonewalling by the deputy director of the FBI, Congressman Jim Jordan. Jim uh, uh, Ted Cruz did his level best yep. to try to get to the bottom of some of this, and they're stonewalling publicly uh, information about the informant and about the alleged 17 audio tapes uh, that Chuck Grassley has uh, has has revealed. Um, can we trust the FBI to investigate the charges levied against Joe Biden and Hunter Biden for taking $5 million bribes each from uh, Ukrainian uh, Burisma officials? Well, they've sure been stonewalling. I mean, uh, you know, initially they wouldn't even confirm whether the 1023 form existed. Then they said, well, it exists, and, and, but we're not going to let you see it. Then they said, well, we'll let you see it, but only Comer and, and Raskin can see it, the chairman and the ranking member. And they said, no, now we'll let the whole committee see it. At some point, they got to let the whole country see it, and they need to answer the fundamental question: Do the tapes exist? Um, I, I, here's another fundamental question I have: uh, If 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 Joe Biden's not the big guy, who is? Who is? Just tell us who is the big guy. I mean, it was on it was on it was in emails between Hunter Biden and his business partners. Mm-hmm. So it, it was uh, uh, now the the this uh, the foreign national talking to the confidential human source has has used the same term: the big guy. So if the big guy is not Joe Biden, who the heck? Is it? That's something I think the country would like to know as well. So just be square with this. Give us the facts. We're big boys and girls, and we'll we'll go from there. It's just so frustrating because I, I know that we get painted as just being partisan conservatives, you, me, and, and anybody else, yeah. saying, oh, well, they're going after Trump, so we're making stuff up against Joe Biden. If the Trump persecution <laughs> never existed, this information <laughs> still would. And, and they're using the Trump indictment uh, as the cover of not paying any attention whatsoever. That's why you're not seeing even seconds, much less minutes or hours, of coverage on, on the network news and even most of the cable news channels of the Joe Biden crimes or alleged crimes. This is the most scandal-ridden, I believe, and maybe, maybe again, I'm just a, a blind partisan, but the most scandal-ridden uh, presidency, and it's only two and a half years old. I know. It, it's, it is frustrating. Uh but you know the mainstream press is—they're is, not the press anymore. They're just—they're just advocates for Democrats. They're they basically are. part of the Democrat Party, and it's—it's it's sad that that's the state of affairs in our great country. But but unfortunately, it is. And so again, Bob, I, I don't say this because we're on your show, and I and because we're friends or anything. I just I say it because it's true. It's important for folks like you who to give the full picture, which you do, and 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 others around the country who do. That that is important for our for our republic, for our democracy, for how things work. That you have folks. Who will give the full picture? And you're you're willing to say both sides. You're willing to criticize Republicans as well, but you're giving the truth. And we need more people in the press, uh, in the media, who are willing to do that. We just the mainstream press just just they just don't. They're cheerleaders for the Democrats. Well, the sad thing is, is is if we give too much of this truth and we do it online, for example, it gets shut down. It gets censored, and that and that does take <laughs> yeah. me back to take me back to the last question I wanted to ask you. I, I conflated your two different letters before the letter you had you wrote to the assistant chief of staff. Um, it, 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 I'm just going to ask you point blank: Was Joe Biden personally directing or contributing to um, social media censorship? The third way, I'll just give a great example. The third day, so January 23rd, he's been in office 48 hours. Rob Flaherty from the White House sends an email to Twitter saying, take down this tweet ASAP. Now, guess who the tweet was from? Robert F. Kennedy Jr. So now think about this. The White House on the third day, 48 hours into the administration, is trying to censor their opponent in the Democrat primary. And the tweet 
had nothing but facts in it. The tweet said Hank Aaron passed away. Hank Aaron passed away after taking the vaccine. This is a this is a concern that we have. That's all the tweet from RFK said. There's not one. Hank Aaron's a real American, a great American. He he, he did take the vaccine and then and then unfortunately passed away shortly thereafter. Uh, Robert F. Kennedy's pointing that out, and the White House is trying to take down that tweet, censor the very guy they're running against. And oh, just to add insult to injury, now they've indicted the other guy that they're going to run against in the general election. That's how bad this administration is. That's the reason I brought it up, because you're right. We do need more people telling the truth and asking the important questions. And when we do, I mean, they can't really shut me down on the airwaves yet, unless they pull the AM radios out of the cars, which is another issue. But um, but they can yeah. certainly do it if we bring this stuff to the to the to the Internet. And uh, and it's yeah. not just coming from, you know, Internet uh, techies who are left wingers and so forth. It's coming with direct directions and directives and collusion and coordinate and coordination with uh high-ranking Democrat officials rising all the way up to the White House. That was the point I really wanted to understand. They, they, they use this term, too, Bob, if I could just real quick. They use this term called malad, uh, malinformation, the mis this and malinformation. Malinformation is what I just described. It, it, it is factually true. It's truth, but they, they, the, the, the bureaucrats and the censors say, yeah, but it's not. Uh, it, it's presented in a way that's not proper context, and it can be misleading. What? The government's going to make that decision. That this is tr- truly where that this is one of the things we're investigating in our in, the, in our select committee. We've been interviewing person after person from these tech companies and others, and this and, and from universities. This idea that this, this and malinformation. The scariest one of all those is malinformation because that's true information, but presented in a context that is misleading is what the definition they have. That is frightening stuff. That is Orwellian stuff. That's what it is. Literally, yeah. literally uh, changing, uh, changing uh, facts uh, to meet their narrative, and then decrying the other facts as being, uh, as being uh, uh, obviously uh, uh, malinformation, as you say, in order to to silence that dissent. Congressman Jim Jordan, I know you're busy. Thank you so much for laying it all out for us. Uh, good luck with John Durham this week, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Uh, John Durham, the special counsel who investigated Trump uh, and uh, the Trump collusion hoax who came back with essentially, well, technically he investigated the investigation. <laughs> John Durham investigated uh, the Robert Mueller investigation in large part. Mueller came back with nothing against Trump, and then Durham went after the bad actors who made it seem like they, there was something that Trump had done wrong. And, of course, we now know that uh, there was no collusion. There were no missteps. There was nothing illegal. There was nothing untoward. And yet no one has been held accountable for the uh, the character assassination and the defamation against Donald Trump. No one. Unbelievable. Republicans had a chance to hold somebody accountable at least a little bit by censuring Adam Schiff, and they wouldn't do it. <laughs> it's 958. Uh, we'll take a top-of-the-hour news break and come right back on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway now at nine minutes past ten o'clock. Good Monday morning to you. It's the 19th morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. 
otherwise known as Groom 19th. There are just, what, uh, 12 more days? No, 11 more days left in the month of Groom. Thank goodness it's only a 30-day month and not 31, so we don't have to have too much more of this nonsense. So I was reading uh, uh, Twitter on, or not reading, but scanning Twitter as you do, <clears throat> on uh, Thursday and Friday, and I came across a, a tweet uh, from somebody I didn't follow. I don't even know how that happens. I don't know how their algor- algorithms work, but I'm so glad they worked the way they did because I was um, introduced to, to Will Scharf at that moment. Will Scharf turns out as a candidate for attorney general in the state of Missouri. Turns out that Will Scharf worked on two Supreme Court confirmations. He is a former assistant federal prosecutor, and he uh, he knows his stuff from a legal perspective. And he wrote an extensive six-tweet thread uh, actually, it was more than six uh, six tweets, but it was a, uh, in uh, explanation of a six-point uh, breakdown of the charges against Donald J. Trump. Why they are so outrageous and shocking. I read it, and I thought, I'm going to read this to everybody on the radio. And then I said, that's a lot of reading. Why don't I just get Will Scharf to explain it on the radio? And uh, sure enough, here he is. Even though we can't help his campaign in Missouri for Attorney General, he is willing to share the truth in whatever state, I guess, wants to hear it about the charges against President Trump. So, uh, Will Scharf, thank you so much for joining us on the program here in Cleveland, Ohio. It's good to talk to you. How are you, sir? It's great to be with you. I have a lot of friends in Cleveland. I hope at least some are listening, but uh, thanks so much for having me on. Wonderful. Glad to hear that, and I'm sure they are. So, so yeah, thank you for, for uh, writing this. It's interesting. I just inter- interviewed uh, Jim Jordan, who's the chair of the Judiciary Committee, and I asked him a little bit about what I want to ask you about. I've got two very lengthy uh, summations of the case against Donald Trump here. Yours, uh, exposing it for the outrageousness of it, and that of Bill Barr, who wrote an op-ed that I just read this morning. And the former attorney general himself kind of laid out the charges and saying there have been witch hunts against Donald Trump. Not this time. Uh, this is not a he's the victim case. He very easily could have headed all of this off by making some other decisions with respect to um, uh, classified documentation. Did you read that by any chance, Will? I haven't read it yet. I've seen a lot of Attorney General Barr's statements, though, on on the media in the the last few weeks. Uh, I think it's worth noting that he's also said that he thinks it would be outrageous if President Trump went to prison over this. Um, The idea that a current president would prosecute his his primary political opponent, uh, that's really just not supposed to happen in America. And I think that's a, a point of convergence between the the two two basic viewpoints on the Trump indictment. Yeah, that's very well said. He has uh, indicated that as well, but he is, uh, you know, he is he's presenting another side, saying this didn't have to happen, and it's only because of President Trump's decisions that it is. He also talks about the double standard and saying, you know, we cannot apply the double standard here in deciding whether or not uh, President Trump should face these charges. So uh, we'll get into that in a bit. But first, let's go to your six points of contention here. You had six key points uh, explaining this, and I'm rather than setting the table and letting you follow up, I'm just going to let you present this uh, one by one, because um, like I said, it's very, very detailed. It's very well sourced and cited. Obviously, somebody in your position, I would expect to be able to do that. Tell us, uh, start with number one. Tell us uh, about the interplay between the Espionage Act and the Presidential Records Act. Sure. And just, you know, by way of background here, as you said, I'm a former federal prosecutor. I've been practicing law for a while. I clerked for two federal appeals court judges. Uh, I approached this thing as I think every lawyer should. I read the indictment. I read the law, and I tried to form my conclusions just based on that, not all the political noise in the background. The first Mm -hmm. thing that stood out to me, 
uh, is the interplay between the Presidential Records Act and the Espionage Act, that the way that they've charged President Trump here, they need to show a degree of knowingness, uh, and they need to show uh, that he willfully violated the law here. Um, my argument is that based on the president's authority, President Trump's authority under the Presidential Records Act, to designate uh, his personal records versus his presidential records. Presidential records need to be sent along to the National Archives. The president maintains the right to, to keep his personal records. Uh, my view is that it's going to be very difficult for the special counsel's office uh, to prove that President Trump knowingly violated the law here uh, and willfully refused to, to turn over documents that he, he actually knew he had to turn over uh, because under the Presidential Records Act, he, he has the authority to uh, retain a, a large quantities of records that fall into certain categories. Uh, and, and meeting that bar, uh, proving beyond a reasonable doubt, uh, knowingness and willfulness here, I think is just going to be very difficult in light of the statutes at issue. So when, when you talk about personal records versus what? Private records? Public records? Uh, public uh, uh, um uh, government records, I mean, when we talk about classified documentation, is there anything that can be called or classified as personal if it did indeed have to do with public, uh, especially cl- not public information and in that the public is able to be uh, aware of it, but uh, governmental uh, property? Uh, how do we distinguish between what's personal and what's governmental if it did have to do with government policy? So under the Presidential Records Act, that determination is made by the president. Uh, it's, it's in the statute. You can, you can pull up the statute and just read it. Uh, the president gets to determine uh, what his presidential records are, were, uh, and what his personal records are. Personal records are things like uh, journals, diaries, uh, items of primarily personal interest to the president, mm-hmm. uh, and those he's allowed to keep. Uh, presidential records he's supposed to send to the National Archives to, to NARA, although he retains a, a certain rights of access to those records even after he's president. Um, but the Clinton sock drawer case is instructive here. This is something that's been getting a lot of press, yeah. uh, where Bill Clinton had made ex- extensive recordings of, of uh, certain interviews and basically hid those recordings in his, his sock drawer. And a federal court ruled that his determination that those were personal records versus uh, presidential records that would have to be archived uh, is essentially unreviewable. Uh, now, President Trump's case is a little bit different. The materials involved are different. Um, but that precedent is instructive as to the nature of the president's authority here uh, to designate records as, as personal. Um, to jump ahead a little bit, you, you mentioned classification. Uh, classification under the, espionage, uh, under the Espionage Act isn't actually dispositive. And I, I make this point in my Twitter thread and a couple op-eds that I've written. Uh, on this subject as well, that the Espionage Act turns on a different uh, different classification. It's called a national defense information is the term used in the statute. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some materials that are classified that wouldn't meet the bar of, of national defense information. There are other materials probably that aren't even classified that might meet that definition of, of national defense information. We don't know exactly what documents are at issue here. We haven't seen them yet. Uh, but it's quite possible that uh, categories of, of classif- classified information that the president retained here might not meet that bar of, of national defense information. And that's another thing that the special counsel's office is going to have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt to a jury 
And I think that's going to be uh, that's going to be difficult for them, at least in, in with respect to some of these documents here. That's a great explanation. We're talking to Will Scharf. He is a candidate for the attorney general job in the state of Missouri. He is also a former assistant federal prosecutor. He knows exactly what he's talking about. I want to read a quick portion of the Barr op-ed today. And this wasn't really planned, but it's just that I want a way to answer Bill Barr. Uh, because I, when I read what you wrote, I retweeted it and told everybody this is the best argument against the Trump um, uh, indictment and the charges against him that I've read yet. Uh, but now that Bars has come out, I want to try to see if you can help me explain some of this away. Um, some have tried, I'm quoting Bill Bard now in his, his op-ed, some have tried to frame this affair as simple custody dispute over documents. Trump's apologists have conjured up bizarre arguments that the Presidential Records Act, a statute meant to prohibit former presidents from removing official documents from the White House, should be interpreted as giving Trump carte blanche to remove whatever he wants, even if it is unquestionably an official document. These justifications are not only farcical, they're beside the point. They ignore the central reason the former president was indicted. His calculated and deceitful obstruction of the grand jury subpoena, uh, obviously speaking of those documents. So you made a point in your first part of this this thread talking about, and what you just said to me, talking about uh, President Trump's state of mind, and it's going to be really impossible for uh, the prosecution to prove his state of mind that he was intentionally doing this. Barr says his state of mind is obvious. Uh, this was deceptive, and it was almost said so by his own, uh, by his own language. So, uh, you know, I think, again, proving state of mind beyond a reasonable doubt is going to be one of the toughest things the special counsel has to do here uh, if they're going to, to make this case, particularly on the Espionage Act charges. We can get into the instruction charges later. But with respect to the Espionage Act charges, they need to show that President Trump you know, knew what he had, knew he wasn't supposed to have it, and then willfully failed to turn it over to an official that he knew had the right to receive it. Uh, I think, you know, I, I say this in my, my Twitter thread, I've said this in op-ed, uh, there's a different reading, which is that when he left the White House, President Trump just packed up a ton of stuff, including newspaper clippings and letters that he'd written, uh, and maybe some, you know, government documents along the way, uh, but considered all of that just to be, you know, mementos of his time in office, his, his personal documents, uh, and, unless they can prove that he uh, knowingly took with him stuff that he he knew he wasn't supposed to have, it's going to be very difficult to prove this case beyond a reasonable doubt. I think, you know, Attorney General Barr is speaking in broader terms about the, the propriety of what President Trump did, and, uh, you know, the, just, I, I think, his, his views on, on President Trump's behavior. Uh, but in the court of law, the requirements to, to prove up these charges are, are, are very difficult to meet. And, and that's really my key point here. Uh, that the special counsel's office, you know, they laid out their case in public and they alighted over some of these difficult legal issues that are going to come up as this case is litigated. I think the idea that this is an open and shut case against the president is just not borne out by either the indictment or the law here. I think that's very clear. And you know, the the most frustrating part about this for those of us who think that what is happening to President Trump is a, is, is a crime, quite frankly. It's a crime against the people. It's a crime, and that's just because, hey, he's our favorite president. Blah, blah. It's a crime because if they can do this to him, they can do this to any other candidate that follows. They can do this to any private citizen uh, because this is, you know, this is very much targeted persecution. And what bothers me, uh, Will, as I, as, I, as I look at this, is you're saying it'll be very hard for them to prove this in a court of law and to get a conviction, blah, blah, blah. But the fact that he's going to have to go through it, especially in a presidential cycle, makes this what a lot of people have called it. Do you agree that this is election interference? 
So I think the timing is very suspect here, and I've, I've said this publicly as well, that the fact that they would bring this prosecution uh, during a presidential election, all of the documents at issue are now in government custody. Uh, there's no fear of sort of future leaks here or anything like that. Mm-hmm. They have the documents. Uh, they could have. E- there's no statute of limitations issue. They could have easily just waited until after the presidential election was over. Um, I think that's a, a, a very difficult aspect of this. That why are we litigating this now? Uh, and then the other point that I've made is that in terms of proving the president's state of mind, they seem to be relying on attorney-client communication. Uh, and they've made an argument to breach attorney-client privilege between President Trump and a former lawyer of his, Evan Corcoran, mm-hmm. uh, based on something called the crime-fraud exception, which basically... The idea is that President Trump was attempting to enlist his his lawyer in a a criminal conspiracy or something like that, uh, as opposed to just seeking legal advice from his lawyer. Uh, That's going to be another big legal bar that they have to jump uh, to show the president's intent here is getting at these attorney-client communications. Uh, And I think that's another problem with the case here. Um, I think there there are certain there there have been allegations of very serious government misconduct here particularly relating to conversations between the Department of Justice and Walt Nauta, President Trump's aide, lawyer. Uh, there, are just, there are a lot of issues here, and I think that the, the push to sort of make this into an open-and-shut case, uh, the push to sort of just get Trump on this, uh, I don't think that's going to be the way this plays out in court. And, and that was really the key point I was trying to make here, that if you look dispassionately at the law, if you look dispassionately, dispassionately at the indictment, uh, the special counsel's case just isn't as strong as people are making it out to be. That's a, that's a very good point. Uh, let, f- follow up on the attorney-client privilege. That's number four on your six-point uh, list of why this is so outrageous. Um, is there a chance that that never uh, that evidence never even gets to a jury? Is that something the judge can say this cannot be used? This conversation between President Trump and Evan Corcoran. Yeah, I think that's something that's going to be litigated. Um, the, the DOJ got a preliminary order from the judge in, I believe, Washington, D.C., that they could access this information and use it in front of the grand jury. I think they had Evan Corker and testify in front of the grand jury. Uh, that's something President Trump's team is, is going to have an opportunity to litigate, though. And, you know, it's worth saying President Trump has very good lawyers around him right now. Todd Blanche, who's, I, I believe, leading his defense, is an outstanding lawyer with real, uh, real deep experience in government investigations. Uh, they're going to mount a, a vigorous defense on that front. And I think that if the special counsel's office doesn't have access to those communications, and if Walt Nauta does not end up testifying against the president, uh, I think proving intent and proving state of mind is going to be an uphill battle for them. I've got two more questions for you. Will Scharf, candidate for attorney general in the state of Missouri and a former assistant federal prosecutor. Uh, you keep talking about Walt Nauta. This was number three in your point. Walt Nauta and DOJ misconduct. Hit that second part about the DOJ misconduct. What What is it that we're, we're talking about here that was, uh, that was unethical or, or misconduct? So Walt Nauta's lawyer has alleged in, in uh, a letter he wrote to, a, to court, you know, in a, a formal document, uh, that he had a meeting with a senior official at the Department of Justice, the head of the counterintelligence division uh, at the Department of Justice. And during that meeting, he was effectively threatened that he's currently applying for a, a D.C. Superior Court judgeship. And it was uh, indicated to him that the, the results of his application could hinge on his ability to get an out and testify. 
Now, if that's the case, if that happens, and I find it difficult to imagine that uh, an experienced lawyer like Walt Nowdis would just make that up, uh, that is potentially very serious misconduct. That's potentially criminal. Uh, and it just it shows how, I believe, uh, DOJ has been willing to run roughshod over normal procedure and normal practices uh, in this investigation and in this prosecution of President Trump. Um, I think that's an issue that we should all be watching closely. I think it's an issue that's going to get a lot more public play in the coming weeks. And it's just deeply troubling uh, that that sort of a conversation would be had, particularly in a, in a high-profile, high-stakes uh, investigation and prosecution like this. Yeah, I can only hope that there is a recording of that, because if it's he said, he said, you know, obviously we're going to be in a it's going to be a tough thing to try to prove, because if it happened, you're right, that is extraordinary. Uh, and it's very, very dangerous. Talk about a miscarriage of justice to threaten a man's career in order to get his uh, his client to speak on something. And then the last question for you, Will, uh, and it's number six on your points, is Jack Smith. Why did they choose Jack Smith, of all people, to be the special counsel going after President Trump? Yeah, I mean, this is just, it's confusing to me, to be honest. I, I, uh, I follow legal issues pretty, pretty closely. I, I, I say, I think in my thread, I'm, I'm a little bit of a law nerd. Um, the first thing that comes to mind when I think of Jack Smith is his prosecution of former Virginia Governor Bob McDonnell, uh, who was a very popular Republican office holder. People had talked about him as a potential presidential or vice presidential candidate. Jack Smith led the prosecution against Bob McDonnell. Uh, they convicted him, I believe, of federal bribery and honest services fraud charges. And then those convictions were thrown out by a unanimous Supreme Court uh, on the grounds that the, the, the theory under which they prosecuted him uh, was a, an overbroad understanding and an overbroad application uh, of the federal statutes they charged him under, which sounds very familiar to the case we're dealing with right now, uh, a very aggressive use of federal statutes to pursue a, a political actor, to pursue a political opponent. Um, there are thousands of lawyers in the Department of Justice. Merrick Garland could have picked anybody. Why would he pick somebody uh, with that kind of a record, with that kind of a, a profile? Uh, I think it's troubling. I think it speaks to potential uh, political motivations for this whole thing. Um, and it's just, to me, it's just, it's a confusing choice and one that speaks to uh, really the nature of this case. You know, in a bizarre way, I'm almost glad they chose him because it is so blatantly political. If you can't, if any, any non-interested observer who looks at the record of Jack Smith, look at, looks at his career, looks at his personal life, looked at it, you know, he's married to, to the, uh, you know, a leftist uh, filmmaker, uh, who loves uh, Michelle Obama. I mean, if you, if you look at this, it's clearly political, and it almost makes the case. If there was an unbiased or a less biased special counsel assigned here, it might be harder to prove political persecution, but I think he makes it very, very easy, especially when you lay out well, the case. I, I, I think Smith's last assignment before this was, was prosecuting the president of Kosovo in The Hague. I believe his family was living in the Netherlands. They didn't have a lawyer on this side of the Atlantic they could have used to, to lead this case. It's, just, it, it's, a, it's a deeply confusing choice. And at the end of the day, Jack Smith reports to Merrick Garland. He's a special counsel, not an independent counsel. And Merrick Garland reports to President Biden. So the, the impression that they're giving is one of, of this being a, a politically, uh, politically motivated prosecution. And no in, a, in a high-profile case like this against an actor like President Trump, that's the opposite of what they should have been looking to do uh, if they were just interested in getting the facts and getting the law. 
so it's it's troubling to me. It should be troubling to your listeners, and uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna be hearing a lot more about Jack Smith in the in the coming weeks. No question about it. The indictment and case against President Trump is outrageous and shocking. Those were the words in the first tweet uh, from Will Scharf. Uh, that's what got me hooked. I read the entire thing. It's very good. I've retweeted it. If you follow me, uh, please uh, read that. If you don't follow Will, you should. Will Scharf, it's S-C-H-A-R-F. He's a candidate for Missouri Attorney General. Will, thank you for making the time to talk to us here in Ohio. Best of luck on your campaign. and Thank you so much for your great work in exposing this ridiculous indictment. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Good luck to you, sir. Uh, That's Will Scharf. Again, he's a candidate for Missouri Attorney General. Read that Twitter thread and uh, arm yourself with information against Biden and Democrat supporters who think that Donald Trump is going down for this. Arm yourself with the truth. We'll be back. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Yes, indeed. 1037. Good morning to you. Thanks for being with us. So we spent a lot of time on the national issues so far this morning. Let's get to a statewide issue, specifically the number one issue. It is literally issue one because it's the only issue on the uh, August 8th special election. Are we going to protect our Constitution in the state of Ohio? Are we going to leave it open to attack and assault from out-of-state special interests? Do you want it, the uh, the radical left to be able to change the Ohio Constitution at will, as it has been done over 70 times uh, in it, since its inception? Just to throw the... You know make the connection for you there. Think about how difficult it is to change the United States Constitution. Uh, think about how many times it has been amended. Ohio's Constitution is basically anybody who wants a rewrite can get one. We're trying to protect it, and that's why this issue is so important. That's why we need to vote yes on Issue 1 on August 8th. Joining us now to talk about it is our good friend, the uh, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance, uh, and uh, they are having a huge rally for Issue 1 as part of the Ohio Christian Alliance, Alliance Freedom Banquet coming up this Thursday. Pastor Chris Long, good to have you back, my friend. How are you, sir? Thank you, Bob. Good to be with you. <laughs> so let's let's dive in here. First, let's talk about the banquet. I want as many people as possible to know about it, hopefully to get tickets, to come and be a part of it, and then we'll talk about what the rally is for. Tell us about the banquet this year. That's right. Our annual Freedom Banquet is this Thursday. That's June 22nd at the Akron Fairlawn Hilton. Uh, we're going to have Treasurer Robert Sprague with us. We're going to have Secretary of State Frank LaRose, Representatives Melanie Miller and Brian Stewart. The President of Ohio Right to Life, Mike Gonadakis, will be there. Other special guests. It will be a rally on Issue 1. It's our annual Freedom Banquet fundraiser for the Ohio Christian Alliance. And what we're doing is, of course, printing bulletin inserts for churches across the state to understand where issue, what about issue one, and where, of course, we as an organization are urging a yes vote on issue one on August 8th. So it's very important that the conservative base turn out for this election. Now, of course, uh, this will preempt uh, the November election of what, uh, for all intents and purposes, it looks like the abortion radical interests are going to make the November ballot, what we've just heard this last couple of days, is that they have secured enough signatures. And if uh, the report was correct, they actually suspended, that's right, suspended their signature gathering as of yesterday. So that tells us they hear, they have probably projected upwards of a million signatures that they're going to turn in on July 5th to the Secretary of State. 
And if they have 418,000, then they're going to be on the November ballot. So if we are able to pass issue one on August 8th, that will make it a 60% threshold that they have to mount uh, to uh, enact their radical abortion agenda for the state of Ohio. So this is absolutely a gamemanship from uh, the political left and the political right and we stand on the political right, we stand for life, we stand for protecting the unborn child in the womb. And uh, i got to tell you, Bob, I mean, it would be abortion to the ninth month. And I know that some of the listeners are saying, well, you know, it's like where I stand on abortion. Think about this. Abortion to the ninth month, wipe out all of Ohio's pro-life laws, including partial birth abortion ban that we did oh, about 25 years ago. It would wipe all of that law off the book and enact us uh, to abortion on demand to the ninth month, take us back to the dark days of Roe v. Wade. That's why the August 8th election on issue one is so important. Very well explained, uh, Pastor Chris Long. Um, how concerned are you? I'm very concerned, to be 100% honest with you. I know it's only my own personal observations as I scroll social media, and I know the whole world isn't done on social media. But when I look at social media, I see an overwhelming number of people and organizations out there urging no votes on August 8th. Uh, far more than I do see people pushing for a yes vote on August 8th, as you just articulated we need to do. Then when you tell me they've cut off their signature gathering because they probably have a million, which means they are well covered, um, they're feeling really good, they're motivated, they're out there, they're, they're ramping up uh, pressure for people to vote this thing down. So how concerned are you that we're going to have enough turnout uh, to stop this? Well, again, this is a base election on August 8th. This is important for folks to get out. The projection of where the uh, turnout's going to be low end is probably 15%. I think we could have uh, a voter turnout of 22%, maybe as high as 25%, because there is uh, a lot of interest generated in this. The good news is, is I've talked to conservative groups, and I see their activity across the state. We're going to know here in a couple of weeks. We're going to be sending out a mailer to our churches asking them to uh, distribute the Ohio Christian Alliance Bulletin insert. By the way, it's available on our website right now uh, for folks to view and print and download and begin sharing with their family, friends, and even at your church. That's at the Ohio Christian Alliance uh, website, just ohioca.org, or just search Ohio Christian Alliance. Issue 1 Bulletin insert is available right now. So we're going to get a good feed for this in a couple of weeks of how churches respond, saying, yes, send us bulletin inserts. We want to make sure our congregation knows about it. Then we're going to have a better handle and feel for, uh, you know, if our folks are going to be showing up and voting on the August 8th election. Let me say this as well. Early voting begins July 11th. Now, I know a lot of folks are, like myself, are traditionalists, and like you, we like voting on Election Day. Mm-hmm. I have voted to absentee maybe once or twice before. Maybe I had a conflict or a health issue. And if you have, like, a scheduling for, uh, you know, like a surgery or, you know, a medical situation you think might keep you from the polls, absolutely take advantage of absentee balloting uh, and also maybe just uh, uh, in-person balloting at the polls uh, leading up to the August 8th election. Make sure your vote counts and get it in, because the radical left is going to bank the vote. They're going to just flood the box and flood the zone in early voting, and we're going to have to at least compete or match them and then flood the, flood, uh, the ballot box on election day to beat them and make sure that we uh, safeguard our Constitution, raising the threshold to 60% for passage of any constitutional amendment going forward. 
Um, Pastor Long, I want to ask you about the abortion issue and about its role in this. I think it's very, very clear. Uh, you know, we're not fooling anybody, nor did we try to. I wanted to have this uh, election in May. Uh, we couldn't because of uh, a variety of problems in the state house. Uh, then we said we have to have it in August as a special election because it needed to get done before November for all of the reasons you outlined. But it is about more than abortion. There are plenty of things that can be done to change the Ohio Constitution that are not in Ohioans' best interest, even by, as you say, you know, out-of-state special interests, if we don't raise the threshold. But our Secretary of State, Frank LaRose, apparently said something last week uh, that has the left in a tizzy, saying he said it out loud. Frank LaRose said, this is 100% about abortion. What's your reaction to what the Secretary said, and, and, and do you agree with that? Well, I, you know, I don't know the quote and don't have it in front of me. Uh, I would, you know, you just heard my sentiments. It is about the abortion ballot for November, but it is also for the Second Amendment rights, our farming uh, industry in Ohio. Let me explain. There are radical leftist agenda trying to bring in Ohio. They will in the future. They've tried in the past uh, to limit farming operations under the guise of protecting the planet of climate change, okay? These people are radical. When we And I know that you've talked about in your program in Ireland where they wanted to reduce the uh, amount of dairy cattle by 200,000, okay? And, of course, that's just a proposal, and they're fighting back in Ireland as they are in the Netherlands against this insane, uh, you know, control over the populace by trying to reduce farming. Quite honestly, you can only surmise as to what they're actually trying to do they say it's about climate change but that's just a ruse uh this whole thing too also about second amendment we can see by the left that they want to restrict our firearms and our our second amendment rights and they would love they can't get through the legislature they would love to put on a constitutional amendment uh and with flooding the zone again with money a lot of money in air air time uh to limit our second amendment rights so there's a number of things that this will protect us from that you know would end route the representative form of government that we have which is the legislature in columbus they are going to exploit uh... what is basically um, you know what we have in ohio is a simple majority passage we're one of only eight states left by the way uh... that have this kind of process and so if we're successful and able to raising the bar to sixty percent safeguarding our constitution it listen it doesn't prevent anybody from circulating initiative petition on a simple law to pass statewide on the ballot, that would be a simple majority. It just right. wouldn't be in our constitution. Constitutional, which is which is very which is a big big deal and and, and very very different. Uh, and I believe it was actually two weeks ago. Now the quote from uh, from uh, uh, Secretary of State Frank LaRosa's: "This is one hundred percent about keeping a radical pro-abortion amendment out of our constitution. The left wants to jam it in there this coming November." End quote. And while that is true for all the reasons you articulated, uh, as well as, you know, taking away parents' rights uh, when it comes to the language of this initiative, which is about uh, reproductive care, uh, that would mean that, you know, minors could pursue, you know, transitioning, which has become so extraordinarily widespread now, without any parental input, uh, because it would be their own reproductive care, because you, I'm sure you're aware that uh, the, the puberty blockers and the cross-sex hormones that are a part of that render people, children, eventually infertile. So it becomes a reproductive issue. So, yeah, it is about it is about abortion, and it is about, you know, uh, p- parents' rights to help guide 
guide their kids through difficult things like this. But that's the reason I wanted you to list some of the other things that could be in play here if we keep this simple 50% plus one threshold to amend our entire Constitution. It needs to be protected. It deserves to be protected. And that's what this is all about. And going back to our original point, that's going to be what we hammer home on uh, Thursday, right, at the Freedom Banquet. It is indeed. It's going to be a rally. We're going to have material there for people to take with them. We'll have yard signs on issue one. We'll have bulletin inserts of the Ohio Christian Alliance, other handout materials. So folks will have plenty of material to take with them back to their community group, back to their church uh, and or social club to be able to share that information with others. And really, let's just get out there and vote yes on issue one and protect Ohio's constitution going forward. Now, they can register for the banquet. Uh, there is a dinner. And so uh, they can pay for that at our website at Ohio Christian Alliance. That's ohioca.org. A dinner ticket is just $75. And uh, we hope that you're able to join us. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Pastor Long, you guys do amazing work at the Ohio Christian Alliance. It's an important we, uh, important night, I should say, every year, this fundraising night. The rally for Issue 1 uh, obviously makes it even more important, so I hope everybody that can get there will get there uh, this Thursday for the Ohio Christian Alliance Freedom Banquet. This Thursday, June 22nd, register, as Chris just said, at ohioca.org, ohioca.org. Chris, thank you for your leadership in pushing Issue 1. We appreciate it very much, and we'll talk to you again soon down the line. Absolutely. Thank you, Bob. God bless you my friend and you as well thank you chris i am blessed i'm blessed to be working uh, on a fairly regular basis with the ohio christian alliance on a lot of extraordinarily important works i mean truthfully uh i i copied fyi before i brought chris on i copied uh the insert that he's talking about um and i posted it on my twitter feed and on my facebook page so if you follow me in either one of those places you're going to see some information that you need to, as I said earlier, arm yourself with against those who are going to try to tell you, no, we're voting against issue one. We want to defeat it. This is a tremendous way for you to say, but listen to this. Arm yourself with this information. You can print it right from the Ohio CA website, ohioca.org. Or like I said, if you follow me on Twitter at France Rants, it's my latest tweet. Uh, headlined, Ohio voters protect our Constitution, and it's a litany of reasons why we must vote yes on Issue 1 on August 8th. All right. Oh, and by the way, yes, I think Chris mentioned this. Early voting begins July 11th. So we are talking just a couple of weeks out, you know, three weeks out tops. Um, so make plans to get there and vote early. And uh, don't wait till Election Day in the event that something might get in your way. Too many times we promise votes on Election Day when the left is out there banking votes in early voting. Let's take advantage of early voting. Republicans and conservatives, get your vote on the books early so we don't have to just hope and pray that we have a massive turnout on Election Day. That's the best advice I can give. 1051, we'll be back. It's um, kind of interesting when we talk about issue one and the reasons why we need to vote yes uh, on, uh, on August 8th. Um, I was looking at a tweet from uh, Brian Stewart this morning linking to the piece by the uh, Cleveland Plain Dealer or Cleveland.com, in which they spin dramatically uh, the extraordinary difficulties it's going to be to, uh, that there will be to to pass a citizen initiative uh, into the Ohio Constitution if this thing passes. State issue one would make Ohio one of the toughest states for citizens to propose constitutional amendments. And Brian Stewart, uh, uh, House Representative Brian Stewart, 
tweeted, Good grief, this is some next-level spin. It's a lot harder, quote, for those who want to change their state constitutions in the 32 states who don't allow for citizen-initiated amendments at all. You know, like New York, Connecticut, Delaware, Vermont, Maryland, and a whole bunch of other blue states. Thank you, Representative Stewart. Spot on. Did you know that Ohio is already only one, or excuse me, is one of only 17 states in the country that allow citizen initiative uh, 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 petitions to to change or to amend the, the uh, their state constitutions? Only 17 states give you any chance at all. The other 33 do not allow you, as a citizen, to collect signatures and on a petition and get you to put an amendment, a proposed amendment on a on a uh, of the uh, constitution on the ballot. Nobody else allows it. Thirty three states don't allow it. Only seventeen do. All this is going to do is is going to make sure that there is a strong majority uh, of Ohioans that want this change by raising the threshold to sixty percent. It's ensuring that that this is something, if we're doing something as dramatic and as drastic as changing our Constitution, that it be something that has widespread support across all 88 counties. I mean, and and that's the way it ought to be. But for the left to complain, this is going to make it too hard. This is, you know, red state Ohio trying to stay red and, uh, you know, by trying to limit the access of the the Constitution of of the people of that state. Well, as Brian said, what about all of the blue states that don't even allow any uh, any uh, constitutional amendments whatsoever to be initiated by the citizens? It all has to come from their, their lawmakers. So, no, Ohio is not turning its back on democracy. Ohio and those of us who support Issue 1 are not trying to suggest that people shouldn't have access to the Constitution. But if you're going to do something as dramatic as literally amend and change the constitution of our state it better have widespread support across the entire state not just in a couple of key highly populated dense uh, dense population uh, areas it better be widespread and that's why the rules if uh, they go into effect if we pass this uh, will be appropriately changed we need to do this yes on issue one vote early and make sure that you tell everybody that cares about the state And yes, some of the key issues that that we're facing, including abortion, but particularly care about protecting the state constitution to do the same. All right, it's 1059. we got news coming up. On the other side, we're going to talk about, uh, well, we're going to go to the local level. Flakewood is screwing with uh, with business owners there. We're going to talk to one of those business owners about this fight. That's next on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by KeepingMedicareSimple.com and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. 
is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Oh, word number three. Underway now at nine minutes past 11 o'clock on this Monday, the 19th morning of the sixth month, otherwise known as Groom. Groom 19th year of our Lord 2023. Thanks for being with us. We've hit all of, all of the levels of government today to one extent or another. Talked a lot about uh, the ongoing uh, attempt to politically persecute and election interfere with Donald J. Trump. Talked about that in the first hour with Congressman Jim Jordan. Talked about state issues with uh, Chris Long, Pastor Chris Long and the Ohio uh, Constitution. It is in serious jeopardy if we do not win and pass the uh, issue on August 1st, or excuse me, August 8th. It's issue one on August 8th. Early voting begins on uh, July 11th. And now we're going to go to the local level, hyperlocal, to Lakewood, sometimes known as Flakewood by people, well, like me, uh, who just are aghast at the way that left-wing um, mayoral administration and city council treat their residents. It is flaky, uh, and I guess that's their business. But uh, when it becomes uh, the issue or an issue for some of my listeners, it becomes my business. Charlie Kalani <clears throat> is a business owner in Flakewood. Uh, he and his father, uh, in one way or another, have been uh, running this business for about 50 years, and suddenly it's in grave jeopardy of survival because of uh, what appears to be targeted harassment of a business by the mayor and the council in Lakewood. And uh, Charlie Kalani of Kalani Auto is uh, here to tell us all about it now. Or Charlie, Charlie, um, uh, pr- first of all, thanks for coming on, Mr. Politically. Good morning, Bob. Okay. Thank you for having me. Always, always a pleasure. By the way, I, I refer to you almost dually as Kalani Auto and Charlie's Auto, and I know that's not necessarily the right way to do it. So how do you want to be known officially? Um, so the name of my business is is Charlie's Auto Repair. My father's business is Kalani Auto Service. Uh, and Hence the reason really, I go back and forth between them, which is exactly, exactly yeah. my point. So, so, okay. Um, go ahead. So we'll go with Charlie's Auto Service. So thank you, Charlie. That's I appreciate fine. you coming on. Uh, you are the politically incorrect mechanic. You are not quiet about your politics. You're not shy at all. You are a part of the uh, Central Committee uh, for Cuyahoga County, and you are you're you're uh, you're a noisemaker. And that has made you a target. It would appear in the city of Lakewood. You have uh, tell us a little bit about your relationship with the city before we get into specific, specifically what they're doing to you and possibly other people in your line of work. Uh, well, what they're attempting to do here, and I should preface this with that, we would be the only type of business uh, in the city that would would be scrutinized in this way, uh, you know, whereas restaurants, you know, have to face inspections, but that's done by the county. Uh, other things, you know, are, are governed by the state. No municipality anywhere would, uh, would, would force a, a, a local business like this, or has, to, to submit to yearly inspections and permit fees, with the exception of rental properties as another type of business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm pretty sure that that might be on the chopping block here with uh, some of the research that I've done and some of the things that I'm about to tell you about. Um, well, before you tell me about that and, t- and tell me about yeah. you know some of the results of your research, give me specifically what they're doing and what businesses we're talking about, because you just said that you know uh, businesses like mine. So we're talking about all auto body shops or auto repair shops, service stations, car dealers. Businesses. What are we talking about? Yeah, all, all automotive-related businesses. Um, 
anyone that works on cars, fixes cars, uh, according to this, rents vehicles. Now, they've since excluded part stores, um, but and, and Lakewood doesn't have any new car dealerships, used car dealerships. They've already uh, purged the city of those over the past years, uh, also through regulation like this. Okay. And now and so, what are they trying? What are they facility. trying to do to all of those different auto-related uh, 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 facilities? So, what they want to do is they want to they want to. Uh, there's three three main points of this that I have huge issue with. One is they want to institute a permit to operate that is conditional upon an initial inspection as well as yearly inspections before the permit is able to be renewed. That's what I was talking about that this is the only type of business the city does this to or would do this to. Um, what kind of inspections is, are we talking about? What, what are they inspecting for? We, well, we can't get a straight answer on that. Um, the best that I've been able to come up with is that in the language of the ordinance, uh, there's four points that they make here. One is that we provide lined off-street parking spaces to park or store all what are they what they call controlled vehicles on the our premises but they limit that to away from doors bays and ways of vehicle ingress and egress well right there i can tell you that was the third point i was going to bring up is that we're going to have a problem there because one i need to be able to park in front of our garage doors uh for security purposes i'm sure you've heard all the times a uh, a van or a box truck gets back in through a garage door or a wall in yeah. order for somebody to rob the place. And not to mention, a couple of years ago, this that exact thing happened to us, and we lost about $50,000 worth of equipment. Uh, then on top of that, we're on the corner of an intersection, so we have two aprons as wide as the parking lot is. Mm-hmm. So the nature of that right there would ex- limit us extremely on where we could park customers' vehicles on our property. Uh, you know, again, we go back to you taking us from being able to use, you know, 25 parking spaces down to, you know, between uh, three to six, maybe. And that'd be pushing it. And that, that would be if I, if I fall within the graces of the, whoever's doing this inspection. Um, okay, let me interrupt. Store- let, let, let me interrupt because I'm sure everybody is right now asking why. What, what's, what do they care how you have the vehicles on your property? It's not on public property. It's your property. Why would they be inspecting to see that you have lines on your, uh, on your parking spaces as opposed to you know, parking them however you can fit them? Because the only logical explanation that I can come up with, with this, um, because, again, like I said, no, no justification for this has really been given, but the only one that I can come up with is because they're trying to choke us enough to regulate us out of business. If I can't keep customers' cars, if I'm limited by the government to how many cars that I can fix on a daily basis, then my income is then limited. And my, no, I get you know, that. If, if somebody I, I can't get, that get their part. car in, what are they going to do? They're going to take it somewhere else. They can't yeah, I, I get all of that, Charlie, what, what I, but I'm going to repeat the question. Why? Go ahead. Why do they want to drive you out of business? Uh, I think part of it has to do with a couple busybody neighbors that do nothing but complain that they don't like seeing a parking lot full of cars. Uh, they don't like that we have to, that we, uh, you know, one of the things we do here is kind of a side thing. We fix uh, 
people's lawn equipment and stuff because uh, the, there's really nobody in the city that's dedicated to that anymore. Uh, so, you know, sometimes I, I have a, a garage full of lawnmowers that I have to move out of my way in order to bring a car inside. They don't, they don't like that. Uh, one of the, one of the people across the street, the last city council meeting, uh, you know, brought that up that he, that we, that we move junk lawnmowers in and out, uh, of our place. And, you know, to that, I'll say what I told him at the end of that meeting is that if you don't like the way we do things with our property, that you are free to make an offer and buy the property and, and, and use it how you see fit. And I tell the city the same thing. It doesn't say City of Lakewood over our front door. It doesn't say anybody else's name. It definitely doesn't say the mayor's name. It says Kalani over the front door. And that seems to be something that uh, it's hard for them to understand. Charlie Kalani is my guest. He runs Charlie's Auto Service in Lakewood. Uh, and the city council and the mayor there, they're trying to pass an ordinance that would essentially drive you out of business. So you mentioned the inspections. What are the other two elements? Well, um, the other, the second one would be the restriction of using public parking. Um, and their argument is that, I've, I've heard two different arguments here. I've heard one that, because we take possession of other people's vehicles, that that's a reason why we shouldn't be able to use public parking um, for those vehicles. And I, I guess on, on one hand, I kind of understand that. But at the same time, how do you plan on enforcing this? Are you, am I going to be under constant surveillance? Is this going to be complaint driven? Like I saw, I saw Kalani park a vehicle over there. And then what? The cops have to stop what they're doing to go run the plate on it and find out who it belongs to. And, and then what, call the guy and say, why is your car parked, you know, at XYZ? I mean, it just, it, it doesn't make sense to me in, in that aspect. But then also the other reason I heard was that uh, well, a city official told us that uh, we're one of the only, we're the only type of business, automotive repair garages are the only type of business who, use public parking overnight now one how do you know because nobody's cited any studies for uh, supporting this ordinance or anything like that but number two i would also argue against that that an apartment building which lakewood is full of many that don't have off-street parking uh is a commercial property can, legally considered a commercial property and according to the IRS, is considered a business. Rental properties are considered businesses. Yeah, so they sure. generate income. Well, when you have an apartment building that's got two or three cars per unit, where do they park? They park on the off-street on the, on the, on street parking. And they usually park overnight, uh, yeah. like most that people. Sounds reasonable. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it sounds reasonable. So, again, they're <clears throat> targeting you <clears throat> and treating you differently for reasons uh, that you can only surmise. You know, you know, you blamed it on busybody neighbors and, and people don't like how it looks. Uh, and, I, and I'm going to go back to the way I introduced you, Charlie, at the top of this conversation. You're a, you're, you're a loud, conservative voice. You yep. don't like a lot of the uh, policies of the uh, mayoral and city council administrations in Lakewood or, or, or in Northeast Ohio in general, and they don't like you. And uh, and that's the reason they're coming after you. Now, that's just, you know, the way I'm looking at it. 
Because right. all of the things you're saying about the ridiculous inspections and the ridiculous uh, ways that they want you to have to line your lot, uh, the ridiculousness about you using public parking spaces to uh, leave some of your vehicles and so forth while you're working on other ones, uh, it, it doesn't seem like it would be something that would be worth the council's time if you were somebody else. It's something, you know, to, to pass an ordinance and, as you say, to occupy police resources, trying to see if you're parking cars where you're allowed to be and where you're not, it wouldn't be worth their time if they if they saw you as just another ordinary citizen and business owner, but it's because you are who you are. You're the politically incorrect mechanic. They don't like you, and they're coming after well, you to drive you out of there, Charlie. Am I reading and, too and much into probably, it? And you're probably right. Um, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to approach this from the, the legal side of things, and I'm trying to keep politics out of it as much as I can. But, you know, I mean, you make a, a valid point. Uh, and, you know, to that, I really didn't want to get into this, but to that, uh, I have had several people, some of them other automotive shop owners, uh, that had meetings on their own with people in the city and, uh, and several, uh, city employees whom I'm sure would have no problem testifying that this law, uh, would not be enforced on anybody else yeah. but us and maybe one other place that i can think of um but that's the that point i'm getting at because that's you know, yeah, people, that... people referred to, in, in private conversation this ordinance was referred to as the kalani ordinance uh in private conversations that i've had with other people uh who well, are also affected by this yeah, there it is, uh, and so. that's exactly the point I'm getting at. The reason I wanted to bring that home, Charlie, is because um, most of the people who listen to this show uh, don't like that sort of political bullying and intimidating and trying to drive people out because they don't like their political ideology and they want to fight back against that. So that's why I want to bring this to tomorrow night. So tomorrow night there's a hearing, right, or, or what are we calling city tomorrow night's meeting? meeting? Yeah, uh, that was, that council meeting council in which they're going to be... Yeah, in which you're going to be considering this, uh, this ordinance. So tell me what people can do. I, I think you told me that uh, people can come and, and be heard, uh, public comment sections, and be heard about what's yes. going on. Yeah, there, there's a public comment section. Um, obviously, the more people that show up, especially if they live in the city or frequent the city of Lakewood, they, or, you know, they, or they're one of any of my customers or my dad's customers, uh, that, that are able to speak on the issue, the better. Uh, it's open to the public, but obviously people who have closer ties to the city, um, sure. I would assume, get listened to better, uh, you know, taken seriously better than, than people that live in, you know, Columbus. Um, the, yeah, uh, which makes sense, of course, because these people need to course. know that their political futures are in jeopardy. These council members, the mayor, they right. need to know that the people of the city are upset about it. Now, I don't know how many and, people in the city understand the seriousness of this. Again, if they, I, it's, I don't want to compare. I don't want to go over the top here when I make the comparison to Trump. But I, I was saying earlier on the program, you know, whether you like Trump or not, if they can do this to him, they can do it to anybody else. And in the same right, thing absolutely. here, whether, whether people you know agree with or even know the specific about you and your ideology and your political affiliations or so forth, if they can do this to one private business owner, they can do it to any other for any other reason, including we don't like them. We don't like them, and so we want them out of here, so let's find a way to do it. And that's what I hope people would be willing to come and testify uh, to, or a reason why they would come and testify at the uh, city council meeting tomorrow night and uh, and speak on your behalf. Well, that's just it. And, and by like doing the, the, the parking thing by itself, 
um, in, in, the, in, in prohibiting, you know, or discriminating against one business, uh, irrespective of all the other businesses and, and residents in the city, you're creating a, a, two separate classes of, of citizens, really. Sure, sure. And, and like, and, 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 you know, I mean, see if you can hear the heads explode on this one, but like prohibiting gay marriage, this law is invalid as a violation of the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. Yeah, I, I think mean, that's I think that's fair to say. And uh, yeah. so, yeah, so we're, we're we're just about out of time here, Charlie. So I want to tell people what they can do. What time? Uh, where? Uh, tomorrow night? Uh, obviously, it's at City City Hall, right? Yes, it'll be okay. in the city. It, what time? It's, it's city Hall. Uh, I can't remember the address off the top of my head, but it's on Detroit Road. They can look it up. Uh, what time does it start? It starts at seven thirty. I plan on getting there probably around seven o'clock, just to make sure that I can get in and. And get our our name on the uh, on the paper. You have to sign up in order to make public comment. And sometimes they pull the paper uh, a little quick before everybody has a chance to sign in on it. Other times I've seen them put out a new piece of paper. Um, but last time I checked the website, it starts at 7:30, and uh, it you know. And also, if you go on the website uh, during the meeting, you can submit an e comment. But I would make, uh, tell people to make sure that you download uh, the uh, instructions on how to do that because I know that some people have wanted to go write messages only to have them lost because they were had to register in order to submit the e-comment and then they lost what they wrote. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I've 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 heard the very same thing, Charlie. So, mm-hmm. Charlie, let's uh, let's uh, just hit it hit it for people here. Get to if you can. If you're a Lakewood resident and you care about property rights, if you care about business owners' rights, if you care about standing up for a citizen and a business owner who's being targeted uh, because of uh, the political affiliation of the uh, of the city, uh, then you should be there tomorrow. Seven thirty is you know, and like like Charlie said, even if you don't live in the city, you can speak. But it would be better if Lakewood residents let them. Know know how they feel about uh, targeting a, a business like this so uh, 7 30 tomorrow at the lakewood city hall charlie it's crap what they're doing to you and to your family a business has been there for 50 years so if uh, if there's any way we can help we want to do that so hopefully we'll get a lot of people out there either in person or submitting as he just said written comment uh written comments or written testimony if you will that they can read during the meeting charlie Best of luck to you, my friend. Politically incorrect Thank mechanic. You. Keep on doing what you do and keep us posted, and uh, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. Thank you, Charlie. That's Charlie Kalani. It's 1127. We'll take a time out here about the hour. Got one more segment. Finally, a segment without an interview, which means finally a chance for you to be heard. If you want to comment on anything you've heard today, from Jim Jordan to uh, Will Scharf to uh, Chris Long to Charlie Kalani or anything else off the board, 216-901-0945. Hit us up. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. All righty then. It's 11.36. Got one segment to go. I got a chance for you to be heard at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110 if you missed the conversations we had earlier today uh, on any of the issues. By all means, you should hear them. 
it's bad on you if you miss them. But I do understand. You can't listen 24-7. Uh, but if you miss this program and any interviews contained therein, you can always get them about an hour after the show at whkradio.com, whkradio.com. Let's go to TJ. He's calling from Cleveland. TJ, good morning, my friend. Good to have you. Go right ahead, sir. Yeah, you know, Bob, uh, this Hunter uh, uh, Biden's laptop and this uh, bitterness he has uh, with the big guy, you know, having to give money to the big guy. And, you know, I'm starting to think, I don't think the big guy is Joe Biden. I think the big guy is Barack Obama. And here's the reason I think this. First of all, his father was the reason that he enriched himself. So why would he be so bitter about giving a cut to his own father? You know, the other reason, uh, all of a sudden, Obama climbs out from under his rock, and he's going to launch this crusade on misinformation when this Hunter Biden uh, uh, investigation is getting bigger and bigger. And the third reason is, where did Obama get the money to build this elaborate mansion when he left the White House? When, <laughs> Mansions, you know, on, plural. Uh, plural, right. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, yeah, tie them three things together, and I'm starting to think maybe the big guy was Barack Obama. And no, I could I think, see I why. Think, I think, I think you're, you're going to tear your ligaments making that stretch. Uh, that's, uh, that's too much. No, I mean, the, the one thing, give, give Biden credit enough to know uh, that, you know, first of all, he doesn't want to share. Uh, he's not going to want to share whatever deals he makes with, with somebody like Barack Obama, number one. And number two, Obama being scrutinized as much as he was. I mean, he, we, we, have to, we have to be honest about one thing. As much as they have looked to take down Donald Trump from even before his presidency, you know, when he was just a candidate, and Crossfire Hurricane and the whole nine yards and everything they've done since then, Conservatives were looking to take down Barack Obama. We just didn't make up uh, evidence and you know and fabricate things and allegations of collusion and all the other crap that the left did. But we were looking for everything we could because we knew what an existential danger he presented to this republic. I mean, literally, our existence was in danger when he said he wanted to fundamentally trans- transform it. Everyone was looking for something uh, on Barack Obama, and for eight years he avoided it. There is no way, in my view, TJ, that he would have gotten himself to something when he knew he was going to be able to enrich himself, you know, six different ways from Sunday, as soon as he was done being president, to build million-dollar mansions and so forth. There's no way that he would have implicated himself in those things, knowing they're watching. And the one guy that we weren't watching during the entire four year or eight years of the Obama administration was who? It was Joe. Joe was just the old guy that that Barack hitched himself to because he's kind of like the safer alternative to the young, charismatic, black president, first black president. Well, here's old, reliable Joe. Nobody was paying attention to Joe during his vice presidency. I'm one of them. I was looking at Obama every day, every radical thing, every executive order that he did. We talked about it, and we went after it, and most of conservative media did as well. But nobody paid attention to Joe. He was able to fly under the radar during all of that time. And that's why we now know, of course, and found out during the Trump administration how much that he got involved with uh, 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 foreign, uh, you know, foreign uh, actors, sometimes bad actors when he's dealing with China on Hunter's behalf. He and they were able to pull off, pull off everything they did, I believe, because nobody was watching. Everybody was watching Barack. 
And so I, I have to believe if there was any relationship whatsoever with Barack Obama and any of the stuff that we're talking about, Chuck Grassley wouldn't just have tapes on Joe and Hunter. He would have things on Barack, but they were very, very careful. And I firmly believe Obama didn't have anything to do with that. This is all Joe and Hunter. Well, I mean, that's all true, Bob. But, here, you know, the thing is, I cannot believe that Biden could be doing what he did as vice president without Obama realizing they're knowing what's going on. Uh, the way they laundered it appears the way they hid money and laundered money. Uh, they figured nobody's ever going to catch on to this. They're never going to connect the dots. Uh, and, and I can't believe well, that's that. That's one of the Obama reasons they knew they night. could get away with it. That's one of the reasons they felt they could, TJ. You just pointed it out. According to what uh, Comer and the Oversight Committee have found now, they used no less than 20 different shell companies to funnel money through. So it didn't just go from Burisma to Joe Biden's bank account. It went from here to there to there to there to there to there, and they did they 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 put it everywhere. And now in the uh, in the believe me, and I would tell you this. In, in another reason to think that you're stretching too far when you're trying to say maybe it's Barack Obama was the big guy, because again, don't you think that James Comer would love to implicate Barack Obama too? If any of the evidence the Oversight Committee has discovered since they started subpoenaing all this information, and all the whistleblowers who have come forward, and including Bobolinsky, who was Hunter's partner in all of this, they, if, if Barack Obama played any role whatsoever, don't you think Comer would be all over that and they'd be holding press conferences impl- implicating Obama, too? Oh, uh, I'm sure. No, they I, would if they could. And, yeah, and, and he uh, would just... Yeah. yeah, he yeah he could distance himself. But at the same time, that doesn't mean payments were coming in through the back door. I mean, he wasn't part of it, but maybe payments, you know, to look the other way. He wouldn't have any need I mean, to, though, is what I'm saying. Though, I, I mean, you know, Bob, that's yeah. like if my father enriched me, like Hunter got enriched by Joe, I'm not going to be too bitter about giving him a percentage. And Hunter, and Hunter was really bitter <laughs> about having to give this big guy you know all this percentage. Well, where do you where do you get where do you get the bitterness from? Where do you keep hearing about? Well, bitterness? in his in his laptop, uh, complained quite a bit a lot of times about having to uh, uh, pay the big guy. He referenced it. He guy. referenced it. I did not read any of it as a complaint. He was just referencing. We have this. We have this. We have this. This cut goes to him. This cut goes to the big guy. There was no bitterness that I saw there. I just I, yeah, think, flying, were, I think you're flying way too close to the sun. No, here, no, my Bob, they, they were showing that on with that laptop there. Uh, he wasn't real happy about uh, having to pay the uh, the percentage his, to the big his, guy. His that father, he had to give. TJ, his father was the reason he even had the gigs in the first place. Why exactly. would he be resentful of paying him his cut when You're literally, right. if it, Joe didn't sign off on all of these things and Joe didn't provide the influence and access to the White House that he did, the, nobody's hiring. Uh, uh, Hunter Biden at Burisma. Well, Nobody's well, that, hiring him in China. Nobody's giving him yeah. a, a, a plug nickel. Uh, I think they were in this together right from the start. I think trying to pull Obama into it is a bridge too far. Well, I don't know. And, and, and I think you made my point. Why would he be bitter? I mean, or why would he complain about having to give the money to the big guy unless Joe Biden wasn't the big guy? No, no, no TJ, gotta, I'm going to end it there, my friend. Thanks for the call. We're, wait, see, this is why this is why we get we get laughed at too much, my friend. This is this is why we get called conspiracy theorists. I mean, we're just pulling crap out of our rear ends with that stuff. No, we can't do that. No. No, I'm not going to entertain that stuff. I listen. I looked for everything that Barack Obama did wrong during his 8 years and I brought it to the forefront and if there was more that he did wrong in the last 7 years since he left office, I'd be all over that too. Believe me, so would James Comey, so would Jim Jordan. 
So when everybody who's investigating the Bidens, if there was a way to get to, to, uh, to Barack Obama, they're there. And you're thinking that because Hunter Biden didn't want to pay Joe his cut, that maybe it was to somebody else. No, no, I, it, it, we're just we're just asking for trouble when we do that stuff. Too many of the conspiracy theories that we get accused of have come true for us to go reaching into places like that. It's just uh, it's not going to do us any good. Uh, but I love you, my brother, and I appreciate you being such a loyal listener and caller. That's all the time we've got for today. Thanks, everybody, for the uh, time. We'll talk to you tomorrow morning. Curse and now then. We'll see you. Bye-bye.